0: I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep, faith keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith What's up guys, Brian Ratliff here Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the word of god from the ancient mayan indians to modern astrologists to crazy date setting preachers mankind has been totally fascinated by predicting the coming doomsday apocalypse some suggest it will come by a comet that will strike this earth some suggest it will be a great fire sweeping across every field and valley and mountaintop. Some suppose it will come through a massive earthquake that will shake this world, and some even suppose it will come by many disastrous storms. But did you know, back in 1806, the doomsday apocalypse was predicted through the prophetic hen of Leeds. That's right. You heard me say it correctly. I said a hen, H E N, you know, like a chicken hen. <laughs> One article entitled Ten Failed Doomsday Predictions says In 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and began to despair and much a disarray of the soon judgment day that would come to this world. It would soon be discovered, however, that the eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, but the work of their owner, who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the hen's body. What a poor hen. (laughs) And what a poor life that hen had. You know, I share that with you to only remind you of all of the crazy theories of the end of the world. I'm not saying it's wrong to go and read the ancient culture of the Mayans. I'm not saying it's wrong to go read what Nostradamus might have said. And I'm not saying it's wrong to read Scientific American or National Geographic to hear what they have to say about the doomsday apocalypse. But what I am here to tell you is that there is one primary source about the coming doomsday apocalypse. And that source is not any magazine written by a man. It's not any culture about their calendar and their systemized numerology and predictions. But the one source that we are to look to to find the coming doomsday apocalypse is God's Word. And specifically, the prophets of old and the New Testament prophet by the name of John the Revelator. In fact, you can read all sorts of sources, but the primary source that we will see the ultimate fruition of this doomsday apocalypse is found in Revelation chapter 16. And so today I want to label my sermon with three words, God's doomsday apocalypse. God's doomsday apocalypse is going to come whether you like it or not. Today our passage needs no introduction. In fact, the prophets of old predicted this day was come and John, the revelator, was given this word by the the Spirit of God on the island of Patmos around 95 AD and here he receives this great vision and we see this one major vision of Revelation is kind of divided up into a series of different visions and we see John is now seeing the end of days before his eyes. Joel and Obadiah called this day of wrath the day of the Lord. Isaiah called it the day of vengeance of our God. Amos called it a day of darkness. Malachi called it a day of burning as hot as fire in a furnace. Zephaniah writes and he speaks about it being called a day of wrath a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of destruction, a day of desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, all because the people of this world have sinned against God. Zephaniah also said in chapter 1 verse 18, it's called a day of fire and it's a day of divine judgment against unbelievers that will consume the entire world. And Ezekiel called it a day of doom for the nations. today, I want to share with you a key statement that's going to summarize everything in, this, in these 21 verses, and really it's going to summarize the content of the message that I have for you. And if you walk away with anything, this is the, the theme of the message that I want you to leave with today. God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. In chapter 16, the dial of God's long-suffering impatience has been removed. And we see that God is going to unleash these seven final judgment bowls or plagues that's literally going to destroy this world. And so I know you might be asking yourself a question, well, what are these seven bowl judgments? Are these seven plague judgments? Or as the King James says, vials. Today, we don't really use the word vials, you know. I'm going to go to the kitchen, I'm going to eat a vial of cereal. (laughs) I'm going to go to the kitchen and eat a vial of oatmeal or a vial of fruit. We don't really use that term anymore, but all it means is a bowl. And so for the sake of the message and to try to understand it in our modern context, I'm just going to say bold judgments. And so tonight, or excuse me, this morning, I'm going to share with you the seven plagues that God is going to send through these seven angels. We're going to see the plague of loathsome sores. We're going to see the plague of oceans turning into blood. We're going to see the plagues of the freshwater rivers turning into blood. We're going to see the plague of mankind being scorched with fire. We're going to see the plague of darkness and pain covering the earth. We're going to see the plague of the Euphrates River being dried up, which will prepare the day of the great battle of Armageddon. And then we're going to see the plague of absolute destruction on this world. Will you come with me as we journey through this unique chapter of the Bible? You know what I like about the Bible? Is it not only reveals to us how it all began in Genesis chapter 1, how God spoke the world into existence, but it's interesting. The same God that spoke this universe into existence, the same God that spoke life into your being, is the same God that's going to speak to these angelic beings to unleash these bold judgments on the world. So the first judgment, it comes from verses one and two, and that is the plague of loathsome sores. And here's the summarization statement from verses one and two that I want to share with you. God will judge the earth, causing loathsome sores to fall upon the Antichrist followers. God will judge the earth, causing loathsome sores to fall upon the Antichrist followers. Have you ever had an ulcer in your mouth? Would you say it's a pleasant experience or an unpleasant experience? It's unpleasant. And especially if you have two or three of them all at the same time. You can barely swallow anything. You can barely talk. You can barely chew. You can barely do anything because of the amount of pain that's coming from your mouth. Now imagine a plague that hits the world like the one back in the days of Egypt that's going to cover your entire body imagine the gross pain that you would experience well my dear friends that is the first bold judgment that this world will receive look at verse number one the bible says that john he remember in chapter 15 it is an introduction to the end of the age and at the end of the introduction we see that god is alone in this temple and it is covered in smoke And so the only logical uh, way to understand who is speaking in verse number one is back to chapter 15. And we know that God is alone in this temple. Nobody is allowed in. And it is full of smoke. And then John hears a great voice. So we see God is speaking in verse one out of his heavenly temple. And he speaks to these seven angels. And he says, go your ways and pour out your bowls of wrath. The bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. In verse number two, the Bible says, the first angel goes and he pours out his bowl upon the earth. It's interesting. The, the commentators are going to, they're going to notice the similarities with the seven trumpet judgments. And some of them are going to say that the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are all synonymous. But I want you to know this, that just because they might be similar does not mean they are the same. And what we see In fact, I believe the best way to understand the book of Revelation is the seven seal judgments come first, then the seven seven trumpet judgments come second, and then the seven bowl judgments come third. And we see that, yes, many of them emphasize the earth or the land. Many of them emphasize the sea, the oceans, and the fresh waters. And they emphasize other different things. But I want you to understand this, that in chapter 16, these are not to be the same as the seven trumpets and the seven seals. And if you interpret it that way, I think you misinterpret the book of Revelation. Because we see that God is thundering down his judgment in in a wave of three judgments. Seals, trumpets, and bowls. And the last set is the most severe and will ultimately destroy the world. But we see in verse number two, the first one comes, and it says that a noisome and grievous sore, like an ulcer, is upon the men and women, if you will, who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So check it out now. Here's what this verse teaches us. God will judge the earth, causing loathsome sores to fall upon the antichrist's followers. I believe that verse number two notes notes and reveals to us that those who are alive on the earth who might be born again, who might be of the faith, will not experience this judgment. They will be alive and see it all take place. But here the Bible specifically says that only those who follow the Antichrist will receive this plague The plague of loathsome sores. Remember, God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash his seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. But now notice verse 3. Verse 3, we see the second plague or the second bowl judgment. And that is the plague of oceans turning into blood. So the the statement that I've kind of summarized verse 3 with is this. God will judge the oceans, causing the seas to turn to blood, killing all sea life. One of the reasons I believe that these are different than the other ones is because you remember one of the other judgments, one of the previous judgments said that one third of the seas were turning into blood. Now we see that all of the oceans are turning into blood into blood. Look at verse 3. It says, the second angel pours out his vial or bowl upon the sea. This is best representative by understanding this being the oceans. The oceans. So imagine the Atlantic Ocean. Imagine the Pacific Ocean. Imagine the Indian Ocean. Imagine all the, the oceans all over the world. The salt water. The Mediterranean Sea. All of it turning in to blood. Now the question is, is that real blood or is it a color that resembles blood red. Well, let's, let's look at the verse. The Bible says it became as, so it uses the word as, so like a simile, a figure of speech, as the blood of a dead man, or literally as the blood of the dead. And then it says every living soul. So whether it was a fish or whether it was a plant or whatever was in that body of water, the Bible says it ceased to exist and died. So, it is either blood that's going to be poured out into the waters that causes everything to die, or it's going to be similar to red blood. And whatever that similarity is, it will cause every living being in the oceans to die. Now, several years ago, actually in 2016 to be exact, I went to Israel and I got to experience floating in the Dead Sea. It was unique. It was the dirtiest water I've ever seen in my life. As soon as you walk into it ankle deep, you can no longer see your feet. And this weird mud substance just creeps through uh, between your toes and just starts to cover your feet. It's nasty. In fact, when I walked into the beach, I saw what appeared to be a black man on the front. And then when he turned around, he was a white man. I thought to myself, am I going crazy? Or did I just see somebody that was half black and half white? But the reality is, is they tell us that when you go to the Dead Sea, you can take the mud inside the Dead Sea and you can rub it all over your body. And so what this gentleman did is he rubbed all this dark mud all over his body that made him look like he was black or an African American. And when he turned around, he was just his white old self. But I also saw people laying out in the Dead Sea, having their newspaper and magazine just reading in that. I'm telling you, it's the nastiest water you'll ever get into. But I say that to say this, that nothing survives in the Dead Sea. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. And so imagine every sea on the world will soon become known as the Dead Sea in this plague that God will unleash through this second angel. God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash his seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. That is the result of refusing to bow to the lordship of Christ and refusing to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and refusing to put your faith and trust in the gospel. But now look at verses 4 through 7. It's the third final judgment plague or bowl. That is the plague of the freshwater rivers turning into blood. Now, just imagine here. Imagine you have all these ulcers or sores all over your body, and then all the oceans turn to blood red, and then everything that's in the ocean dies, and then all of a sudden, God cuts off the freshwater supply. So, the summarization statement for verses four through seven is this God will judge the freshwater rivers, causing the streams to turn into blood. God will judge the rivers causing the fresh water streams to turn into blood. What a horrible day or a series of days the end will be. Look at verse 4. It says, And the third angel poured out his vial or bowl upon the rivers and fountains of water. And the Bible says they became blood. No elaboration about the previous verse where it says every living soul died in the sea. Here it says that the fresh waters became blood. I am inclined to lean towards the idea that it is actual literal blood. But it might just be red blood. But whatever it is, it will cause the water to no longer be a source for hydration. You will no longer be able to drink this water. Look at verse five. It says, he hears, now imagine, the source all over your body, all the life in the ocean dying, and now you can't drink water. That's a bad day. I know you might have thought you had a bad day this past Thursday, but not a day like this. But check it out now. We might begin to think, well, why? Is God just in doing this? Is God really demonstrating his holiness and his love and his mercy in this? Well, look at verse five. The angel who is overseeing the bowl pouring out this judgment upon the fresh water, he literally says, God is righteous. He says, this is the God that was and the God that is and the God that ever will be. And he says, because you have judged this way, he says, he is the righteous in this judgment. And verse six says, for the people of this earth, speaking of they, the Antichrist and his kingdom, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now let's pause right here. Understand this, that Christian martyrdom has been a part of the faith ever since the day that Christ ascended up to glory. And we are not to seek it out, but if it knocks on our door, we should not run from it. But understand that one of the tools that Satan has had throughout the ages is to try to silence the message of God through death. He thought he had victory when Jesus the Messiah was nailed to the cross, but that little boy realized that he did not have victory. In fact, Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, defeating the works of darkness 2,000 years ago. Throughout the ages, we've seen martyr after martyr after martyr burned at the stake, beheaded, whipped and beaten and imprisoned. All so that Satan in his dark ways and deceptive ways can try to silence the message of the gospel. But just because he kills the prophets and the saints does not mean the message of Christ will cease to exist. In fact, I believe that it will only add fuel to the fire. And so it says they deserve this type of blood to drink because of their martyring all the people of faith. In fact, the angel says that those people are worthy of this judgment. Just like Pharaoh was worthy of those plagues that he thundered down. Imagine the, the similarities with, with the Egyptian world and empire back in the days of Moses and Aaron. Here we see a, an emperor in, in this world mistreating a group of people. Most likely it was about two and a half million people he was mistreating. And God, I guess, had enough of this and he sent mercy in over and over again. But then God's judgment was poured out ten different times upon that man and his kingdom. And we see the same type of judgment is going to be poured out upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. Because of their refusal to repent of their sins and repent of their unbelief and repent of their rejection of Christ. Verse 7, the Bible says that John hears another voice, not just this, this third angel speaking, but now he hears another voice out of the altar. Remember in heaven... That altar was there, and that was the place where the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the odors of the saints, the Bible speaks about, how our prayers are just going up, and God, in a sense, I say this respectfully, is smelling our prayers and receiving them. But here, out of that similar altar, the Bible says, a word is said, even so, Lord God Almighty, the word Almighty, it means that he is the all-powerful, all-ruling, all-sovereign God of the universe. And it says that he is the Lord God Almighty. True and righteous are his judgments or his actions and his deeds. He is just in doing this. And I know that the scoffer is going to say, I can't believe God would do this. Well, I can because God actually warns us what he's about to do. And he warned us in 95 AD of what's going to take place in the soon coming years. Maybe it'll come in in a few years down the road. Maybe it'll come in a hundred years. We don't really know. But what we do know is God gave us a warning about when it will transpire. And then it goes on to say about the fourth angel. Now, before we speak about the fourth angel, remember, God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash the seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. And this angel and this voice out of the altar says, they deserve these plagues. And now let's look at verses 8 and 9. The fourth plague, the fourth bowl, is the plague of mankind being scorched with fire. As we read these verses, here's how I summarized it. God will judge the sun, causing the people to be scorched with intense heat. So keep in mind, you have these loathsome sores, these ulcer-like disease all over your body. All the ocean life dies because of the blood that's in the water. All the fresh water is turned into blood and you can no longer drink water. And now the sun has become so hot that it's literally burning you. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but, but it just, just, I'm not recommending you to try this, but in case you have before, imagine taking a lighter and placing your hand over it and trying to hold it as long as you can. You can't hold it there for long because it's going to burn you. Imagine, you know, every every mother and father is going to say to their little child, hey, do not touch the stove because it's hot. And then on the unforeseen day when that child decides, well, I'm just going to do it anyway, they place their hand on that burning stove and it burns their hand and they can't leave it there long. So imagine the heat of the sun revved up in such degree that it begins to burn the bodies of this earth. I think about the words of Christ in Matthew 24, where he says, except the days be shortened. There's going to be some type of miraculous thing and supernatural thing that God is going to cause the days to shorten. And maybe Jesus is referring to this time in the apocalypse and the tribulation period, when these people are going to be scorched with fire and God begins to shorten those days so that his believers in the tribulation period, the tribulation saints, won't be scorched by the fire. Maybe that's why he said that. But look at verse eight, it says, and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. So he judged the earth, he judged the seas, he judged the rivers, and now he judges the sun. And the Bible says, the King James actually says, power is given to him. And I think it's a unique way of talking about the sun, that he gave the sun a he, power. So in other words, you know, that God is giving the sun itself power to scorch the men with fire. Then verse 9 says, and the men were scorched with great heat. You would think that that after receiving the sores, after receiving the blood and the waters of the oceans and the seas and no longer having fresh water and now being burned, alive if you will, you would think that you would cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm sorry for serving the Antichrist. Please forgive me. But in fact, what you see is three times in Revelation 16 is the unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting mentality. And the Bible says they blasphemed the name of God. This means they, they shook their fists at God and they begin to curse God and speak ill of God. And instead of taking the blame on their sinful life and their idolatry and their immorality, they're saying, God, this is your fault, instead of saying, God, this is my fault. And so the Bible literally says that this is the God that has power over the plague. So in any moment, God could just cease the plagues to exist. But he didn't. This reminds me of the hardness of man's heart. You know, scholars have debated about Pharaoh. Did God initially harden his heart or did he begin to harden his heart and then God later harden his heart? What we do know is what Paul said in Romans, that God hardens those whom he will harden. And so I find it interesting that there comes a point in, in, in some people's lives, where they are hardened and callous towards the message of the gospel and his word. And God says, okay, you want a calloused heart? You want a hardened heart? I'll give you a hardened, calloused heart to my word. And that's what we see these people living out. And in fact, as I think about the culture of our day, I see, literally, I see the people of our day doing similar things. But then the Bible goes on to say that they repented not to give him glory. The fifth one. The plague of darkness and pain on the earth. From verses 10 and 11, God will judge the beast, causing darkness to fall upon the Antichrist kingdom. Literally, this is um, a judgment towards the throne of the beast or the throne of the Antichrist. So God will judge the beast causing darkness to fall upon the Antichrist kingdom. Of course, there's parallels back to the darkness in Egypt back in the days of Moses. But we see now that you have loathsome sores, you have the oceans and fresh waters turned into blood, you have scorching heat, and now you have darkness. Darkness that you couldn't see. It's like going into the Dixie Caverns and the lights being turned off and you can't see an inch in front of your face. Darkness all over the world. Then it says that the fifth angel pours out his bowl towards the throne of the Antichrist and his kingdom was full of darkness. And the Bible says, here again, when they should cry out to God in repentance and say, God, forgive us for idolatry. They gnawed their tongues for pain. In other words, they begin to grit their teeth and they begin to, to wail for the intensity that they were experiencing in this pain and agony. And the Bible says they just continued to blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. In other words, they did not get right with God. They continued to just abide in their sin and utter refusal to get right with Christ. God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash his seven final plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. But now look at verses 12 down to verse 16. This is the sixth angel pouring out the sixth bold judgment of the sixth plague, and this is the plague of the Euphrates River drying up. Here in these verses, we see the sixth thought. God will judge the Euphrates River causing the water to dry up for the battle of Armageddon. God will judge the Euphrates River, causing the water to dry up for the great battle of Armageddon. Look at verse 12. And the sixth angel pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up, that the way of kings of the east might be prepared. Now let's pause right here. You could go read a hundred commentaries, and you get a hundred different opinions about who the kings of the east are. I'm going to tell you who they are. Let me just settle it all. They are the kings of the east. (laughs) That is, if you look at Israel on the map and you look to the east, it could be any of those nations around. There's so many people that are quick to say, oh, it's China. Oh, it's the Arabic nations, Arabian nations. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Let us remember that we would make the same mistake that Luther would make in the 1500s when he would insert to say that the Pope is the Antichrist, if we start to say that all these different leaders and rulers of our day are the Antichrist. So we'll make the same mistake as one of my favorite preachers to listen to, a Presbyterian preacher, Ian Paisley, when he had marched into the parliament and say the Pope is the Antichrist. Let's not make those same mistakes. Let's not add to what scripture says, but let's at the same time not take away. So what we do see is that the Eastern nations that are surrounding Israel could be the ones, then the ones that further expand beyond the the ones that are right there in the context and go beyond those specific Eastern nations. It could be any of them. What we do know is that earlier in the book of Revelation, it spoke about a 200 million, excuse me, army of demons. And so we do know that that, that this world has so many people that there could be millions upon tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people in a battle. And so verse 13 says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. (laughs) I knew I didn't like toads and frogs. You know, we have so many problems in our church over the years, and I'm not talking about people. <laughs> I'm talking about animals. We've had groundhog problems. We've had mice problems. We've had snake problems, but we've also had some toad problems. These young people, though, they, the, they have this idea that they like to catch these toads and bring them and try to throw them on you. I don't play with frogs or toads, and I got scripture to back it up. Why? <laughs> because those frogs are demons, <laughs> Just kidding about that. But we see that these frogs are just a way that John is describing these demonic spirits. And the Bible says they come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the the false prophet. It's just a figure of speech saying that they come out from them. And then it says that... you see, so many times in the apocalypse, some people try to just only interpret it spiritually and allegorically, and then some, like ourselves, we try to interpret it literally, and when we interpret it literally, we have reasons too. So some might just stop at verse 13 and say, oh, this is just a, a symbolic way to interpret demonic spirits. Well, actually, John elaborates in verse number 14 and says that these frog-like creatures are actually spirits of devils. He says they're demons. He says they have, they are, they're doing miracles, And they're convincing the rulers of this world, and in fact, the entire world, to come and gather together for this great battle called the great day of God Almighty. Now, what is interesting here is later on in verse 16, it speaks out the word Armageddon. Did you know it's the only time the word Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible? It comes from the, the Hebrew word is Armageddon. So if we were to literally translate it, it would say the hill of Megiddo. And there I've stood on this hill, and maybe some of you have if you've been to Israel, and you stand on this little hill, and it overlooks this valley, this unique valley that's kind of called like the breadbasket of the world. And there they feed the Middle Eastern area there in Israel, and it's a huge valley. And so many battles have been fought there over the years in in scriptural times and biblical days, and we see that the nations of the world are going to gather again at this time to battle there. But in verse 15, it's kind of like a brief pause, just like the seven seals had a pause between the sixth one and the seventh one, and the seven trumpets had a pause between the sixth one and the seventh one. Those were a lot longer. This one is one simple verse. And here, Jesus is giving John the words to encourage us all to say, behold, I come as a thief. Jesus said this. Peter said this. The writers of the New Testament verify that the coming of Christ is going to come as a thief in the night. Listen, if if you're going to try to rob somebody, you're not going to rob them at 2 in the afternoon. You're going to rob them at 2 a.m. And here the Bible says simply saying that Jesus is going to return when mankind least expects it. And then it says, Blessed is he that watches. Blessed is he that keeps his garments on lest he is found naked and full of shame. Verse 16 speaks about how they gather at the battle of Armageddon. So many of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, and many others speak about this coming day of the Lord and some, as I mentioned, speak about it directly. But God will judge the Euphrates River, causing the water to dry up for the battle of Armageddon. That's what verses 12 through 16 teach us about this plague. God will judge the Euphrates River, causing the water to dry up for the battle of Armageddon. We know that God, part of the Jordan Sea, God, part of the Red Sea. And so some miraculous way is going to part this unique river again. But now let's look at verses 17 to 21. God's doomsday apocalypse will unleash his seven final judgment plagues upon an unrepentant, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. And now we look at the final one and the most devastating of them all, the plague of the destruction of the earth. Here's how I summarize these next few verses. God will judge the atmosphere, causing a severe earthquake and gigantic hailstones to destroy the world look at verse 17. The seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air. In other words, kind of the atmosphere, the sky, if you will. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. As I read that, those three words, I thought about three other words that Jesus said when he was on the cross. He said, it is finished. And so here's the something that I want you to understand. I think, I really do think that, that at least I was reminded of here. I think that God is saying these words to remind us that 2000 years ago, at least in our time, Jesus said it is finished. And what he is saying is in that moment, the wrath of God was fully satisfied on him on the cross. And so that mankind, all who believe in his name can escape this wrath of not just this day, but also wrath of eternal separation of God and hell. And so here God is reminding of us, reminding us all that you can escape this day by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believing his atonement on the cross can cover your sins. And so you don't have to experience this wrath, the wrath of the tribulation period. You don't have to experience the wrath of eternity in hell, in the lake of fire. Jesus paid your penalty And then verse 18 speaks about the voices and the thunders and the lightnings and this great massive earthquake that the Bible says that this earthquake was so severe that no other earthquake throughout history of mankind's existence is ever compared to it. Then verse 19, it speaks about how Jerusalem, I believe it's Jerusalem at at least, is divided into three different parts. And then the cities of the nations fell. And then great Babylon. We'll get into more of that later on. But all Babylon is, is the system in which the Antichrist is going to rule and reign. That's going to be similar to ancient Babylon and similar to ancient Rome, dominating the entire world. And the Bible says that, that the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So the two options are this. You can either accept the payment of Christ on the cross and allow Christ to take the wrath of the Father, or you can receive the wrath of the Father for all eternity. The choice is yours. And man is responsible for this message. Every single man, woman, boy, and girl is responsible for bowing their knee and confessing Christ is Lord. Remember in John's day, they would say Caesar is Lord, but we say Jesus is Lord. Then the Bible says that that here in verse 20, that every island disappeared and every mountain was flattened. Then verse 21, this is hard to imagine. This is, I can't fathom this. That's why I wanted to do all this in one sermon. The Bible says that hailstones, we might've seen like little pebbles of hail fall from heaven in a severe thunderstorm, but nothing like this. The Bible says great hail came out of heaven. And the Bible says every one of these hailstones weighed about one talent. Now I've read everything from 56 pounds to 125 pounds of a talent. We don't really know exactly what it was because our measuring system is not the same as the ancient world. But what we do know is if we were to just to take the least least way that we kind of get the idea, if we take the low end of the interpretation, 56 pounds. If 56 pounds fell from the sky and hit you in the head, it would kill you. And here we see it's gonna cover the world. And the Bible says that these people responded Again, the third time, blaspheming the name of God because of the hail and because of how great and destructive it was. God will judge the atmosphere, causing a severe and gigantic hailstones to destroy the world. I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in 2011, I, I, I distinctively remember this. I was driving in 581, and I saw a sign on, on a billboard right here in Roanoke that said, Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. And it was May 2011 when I saw that. And I thought to myself, haven't they read what Jesus said? That no man will know the day or the hour? One article writes and says, among the prolific modern predictors of the end times, Harold Camping has publicly predicted the end of the world as many as 12 times based on his interpretations of biblical numerology. In 1992, he published a book that was titled 1994 with a question mark, which predicted the end of the world sometime around that year. Perhaps his most high-profile prediction was from May 21st, 2011, a date that he calculated to be exactly 7,000 years from the biblical flood. When that date passed without incident, he declared his math to be a little off and pushed his date back to October 21st, 2011. Today it is almost October 2021. Be careful about setting dates, but we can be rest assured that Christ is coming And this day of Revelation 16 will come to pass. God's doomsday apocalypse will come whether this world likes it or not. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm going to walk by, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk by, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the face